Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 42 to 44. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that the master of the house had known in what part of the light the thief was coming. He would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Expect. This is the reading of God's word. It's good to see everybody here today. Um, it's the last uh, Sunday of Advent, and it's also the week before um, Christmas Sunday. And so, uh, like Jason just announced, we do have a Christmas party coming up right after. We need to be there as soon as we can. So, uh, the good news is the sermon here will be cut a little bit shorter than usual. Um, but nevertheless, it's it's something I think it's important to. To kind of uh, look at. Last week we looked at this passage, if you were here with us last week, and we st- we're still talking about Advent. And what we've been saying all along is that Advent literally it, it means coming. Um, the Latin word, the coming, uh, the, and along with Advent, what we've been saying is that there's, along with waiting, is this longing for something good to come. And so in our passage uh, today and last week, uh, we're looking at an Advent. But it's not the advent of the first Christmas, it's the advent of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it's the same idea, there's a waiting for that to come. He said in verse 42 and in verse 44, stay awake, uh, be, be ready. And what we tried to emphasize last week was, it's not so much about the waiting here in this passage for the coming of Christ, it's the unexpectedness. Uh, it's the not knowing everything and trying to prepare for something that that you don't always expect, and that was the focus of this passage, that the typical Christmas story of our culture doesn't quite add up to the unexpected story of the coming of Jesus Christ. And when you look at this passage, I wanted to emphasize just one more thing as we move on from here to Christmas Day, and that is this. How does this God of hope come in to this world? And in this passage, and here's probably one of the most unexpected things that I see in verse 43, this is what uh, the, the gospel says. <clears throat> but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. You know why that's unexpected? He's comparing the coming of Jesus Christ with the analogy of a thief breaking into your house. And stealing, right? It's it's almost, if you think about it, it's heretical, but Jesus is compared to a thief. Santa might give you a little Christmas present. Jesus here is a thief. Comes when you don't expect it, breaks in, and he takes away. Imagine Santa coming on Christmas morning And he comes down that chimney, and it's on Christmas morning, and he sees you waiting for him, and he says to you, give me all your money. (laughs) Right? That's unexpected. That that would be weird. That would be wrong. You need to probably call the police. Because we expect being robbed is not a good thing. It's a, a bad thing. We don't normally think of losing as a thing to remind ourselves during Christmas time. 
But that's what I think the analogy here seems to imply, that the coming of Jesus is like a thief who comes in the night. Not only unexpected, but breaks in, and what do thieves do? They take away. They don't give. Not only is this unexpected, but is it realistic? I mean, is that, is that who Jesus is? Let me ask you a question this, this afternoon. Um, do you think God comes only to give? Or let me put it another way. Do you only come to God because you think he should give? That this God only gives? Don't get me wrong, he's a giver. He is the greatest giver in history of mankind. But does he ever take away? Does he ever take away? You ever read the book of Job? Job chapter 1, you, you know Job, the story of Job. Lost his livelihood, lost his home, lost his loved ones. He, things were getting taken away. Job, the first chapter, this is what he says. Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Does God take away? I know some of us here might be thinking, why, 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 why? Why would God do that? Why, why would God take away what, what I need the most? Why would God remove from me what, what is not only essential, but it's really good and it's legitimate? Why would God take away anything like that from me? And, and it's absolutely true. Having good in your life, having blessings in your life, it's awesome. It's great. And God gives us blessing. But here's the question that we need to think about when you think about the coming of Christ, whether at the birth or the second coming. And the question is this. Is God God? Is God God? Is he really God? Is, is there a God? Because if God is God, if there is God, then he must be the most supreme, the most powerful, the most holy, the most loving, the most perfectly good and righteous being, the most perfect thing in the world. That's the very definition of what a God is, isn't it? And if that's true, then it means he's the best thing that anyone could ever have. In fact, so much so, if God was to give you everything that you think is good, but not give himself, if God was to give you everything you think you really needed and wanted, but he still withholds himself, let me tell you, you would only have nothing but a selfish God. But if you have nothing else in this world and you still have this God, then you have everything. That's what the Bible seems to teach. 
Uh, that's what I think God seems to think about himself. Because why? Because God is God. And I know many of us, I know many of us, we already know this, at least in your heads. You, you know this already. But functionally, I don't think we know. Oh, God is the best. God is the greatest. God is the most superior person in my life. But functionally, I live for money. God is the best. God is the greatest. But functionally, I live for my vocation. That's what's really important to me. God is the supreme being, but functionally, it's my children. I live for them. It's my reputation. It's my recognition. I might say one thing with my head, but my heart says completely different. Not because I'm sinning. Legitimate, good, important things are functionally what I'm living for. How do I know? You know you're doing this because you only come to God when you need something. You know you're being like this because then when you get something, then you praise him when you get what you think you want. You only thank him when God gives you what you think you need the most. But when he doesn't, when he doesn't give, because the sovereign God is not obligated to give, when he doesn't answer your prayers the way maybe you would like, oh, where is God? Oh, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if he's there. Oh, I'm not sure anymore. I don't know. My faith is so weak. And, or worse, you curse him. The steady, rock-solid Christian life is the one that despite the circumstances, no matter the gifts, the blessings, or joys, no matter the sadness, the heartaches, and the tears, the ups and downs, the solid Christian life is still the one that says, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in order that we might see that, in order that we might not just say it, but live it out functionally, this God that we come to worship, he not only gives out of his grace and mercy, out of his love, but out of his grace and mercy, he will also take away. And that is a hard lesson to learn sometimes. But let's think about this. Because when I read the Bible, when I hear about Christians in history, even a few Christians that I might know personally, the people, okay, the ones with the strongest faith aren't the ones who receive so much. The ones with the strongest faith seems to be the ones who have gone through so much, who have lost so much, and through that, their faith somehow grew. And that's kind of unexpected, isn't it? You would think that the more you get in this world, that the more you have, the more faith you should have. But it seems to be completely the opposite. Isn't this why Paul says, I have counted all things loss. For what? For the sake of knowing Jesus. And let's be honest. 
For some of us, that sounds kind of crazy. That sounds a little bit fanatical, over the top, if you really think about it. But I think that's functionally what it means to live by faith. And here's the truth. If you're only living for what you think is good, for what you think is most necessary, and it's not this God, it's not this Jesus, not really, what do you think God's going to do? What do you think that a holy, loving, generous God should do? Your kid likes donuts. He thinks it's the most wonderful thing in the planet. What do you do? Do you keep giving him donuts? You want him to get diabetes? Sometimes you have to take away. Here's the unexpected. Here's the good news. Jesus comes not like Santa down a chimney. He comes like a thief in the night. And this holy thief wants to steal from us. And maybe that's literal or metaphoric at the same time. But in this season of crazy levels of consumption, where our credit card debts rise and our you know, waistline expands, maybe the idea that Jesus wants to break in and jack some of your stuff is good news. He wants to take away your focus on the stuff in your life that drag your eyes and your thoughts away from him. He wants to run away sometimes with the stuff, the issues, the things in your life that keep you from hoping in him, in his grace, his unexpected grace, and take away some of your self-dependence, take away some of your self-sufficiency, take away some of your self-confidence. He wants to break into your life and steal those things you most treasure so that you might treasure him more. And that's not always expected, nor is it really wanted all the time. But the good news is also this. Maybe that's also how this holy thief, along with all those things, also comes in to take away feelings of weakness, feelings of inadequacy, feelings of anxiety, of failure, of guilt, of shame, of condemnation, and even sin. You know, I started thinking about this week, you know, if we make Christmas lists, I don't know if you make Christmas lists, and you write down things that you want. What if we were to make Advent lists? Instead of things we want Santa to bring us, we write down what we want Jesus to take from us. You know, stuff like your anger, take that away. Stuff like your depression, stuff like your perfectionism, Stuff like your judgmentalism, take it away, God. Stuff like, like, you know, your hatred, your resentment, your jealousy, maybe a little bit of our selfishness, take that away. This addiction, take that away. Let's write that one down. This temptation, take it away. What would your list look like? Jesus was born to maybe break into your life and steal your love for money. Take away your love for attention. Run off with your love for affirmation and recognition and maybe steal away even your unbelief in the middle of the night. I don't think we expect that. I'm not sure if we like that. But that's oftentimes his goal. 
in the midst of what seems like loss is unexpected grace. Losing to gain, to lose whatever we consider as gifts in order to gain the giver of all gifts. Because after all, isn't this what we should really expect from the God on Christmas Day or any day of the week? If God is God and he's good, he would want us to have the best. And if that's true, then he has to give nothing less than himself. And the greatest best you could ever have. Isn't that what happens on Christmas morning? Isn't that what's happening, the greatest gift? That the giver of everything we've got becomes the best gift we have when Jesus was born. The promise of Advent that unexpectedly comes is this, that there was and there is and there will be a break-in, not only into this world, but into our lives, because this God in which we live and move and have our being, he's not interested in our loss prevention programs. He's not interested in our self-prevention programs or our self-fulfillment agendas. He's interested in saving us. And he's saving us not just from our sin, but saving us from ourselves. This is the unexpected grace of God which comes like a thief in the night. This is Jesus born on Christmas Day whatever day that was, born, why? Only to experience loss, then die. How did Jesus die later? Matthew chapter 27, verse 38, read it. How does Jesus die? Like a thief. Crucified between two thieves. Jesus dies like a thief. He loses his life so that he could give you everything, and that he could give you himself. That's Christmas. Let's pray. Father, no matter how old we are, um, I don't know if we're always wondering what we're going to get this year, um, what our parents going to give us this year, or if what we wanted is really going to be under that tree this year. Whether it is or not, we pray, God, we are all able to still give you thanks in all circumstances, to be thankful for you. Whatever it is that we think our hearts desire at this very moment, we pray that you would remind us of what we've been already given and that we are to trust in you. Help us, Lord, to enjoy the blessings that we've given us. Some have more blessed than others, but we know life is not always about blessing and goodness. We know there's hardship. We know there's difficulty. We know there's loss. Help us, Lord, to endure, knowing, Lord, that you have more in store, better for us. Turn our eyes away from ourselves and turn them to you. Not just Christmas Day, but every day. We struggle with that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's all right.